and people want to do business with other people. Any chance to speak, to show up live in front of an audience, I would say take it. And this is something that a lot of people are hesitant about because they feel like, you know, I still haven't figured out my voice or I don't think I'm there as yet. I don't know what message I'm, I'm putting out there. But rather than perfection, I think we need to focus on repetition, consistency and focus on evolution because I think all of us are kind of like a work in progress. Welcome to CEO School. I'm your host, Sanira Madani, and I believe that you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue, and less than 25% of women are breaking the C-suite glass ceiling. And our team at CEO School is on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who are breaking the statistics, as well as women well on their way sharing how they defied the odds so that you can do it too. If you are an ambitious woman who wants to create a life of impact through financial freedom, self-growth, and find confidence in your voice, grab a seat because class is officially in session. This episode is sponsored by The Club, a quarterly box and digital monthly community to help you level up in leadership and life. Learn more today at join.theceoschool.co slash the club. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Madani, and welcome to CEO School. Today's guest is a digital marketing strategist and best-selling author who has developed a reputation for making the most complex topics simple and achievable for everyone. Her award-winning website, miracoten.com, has made the top 100 list for solopreneurs year after year. And she's been featured in so many incredible publications, Smart Blogger, Marketing Profs, YFS, Addicted to Success, and many, many more. Mira is a digital marketing specialist. She talks all things marketing. And in today's world, digital marketing is where it's at for us to grow our businesses. Literally on the last episode that I just recorded, I deep dove into all the different go-to-market strategies that we can have as a business and how in 2021, the landscape has completely changed for us to reach our customers and get them to purchase our products and solutions. And I'm so excited to welcome Mira to the show so that we can deep dive and pick her brain on all things digital marketing. Mira, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for today's conversation. I'm so excited to see another South Asian badass woman here on the show. <laughs> I'm all about the brown power. Mira, can you start just sharing a little bit about your background, your story, how you got started into doing what you're doing? Where are you located? Like we just, we just literally met five minutes before the show. Mira's team had reached out to be on the podcast and we had to have her on the show. So Mira, tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you calling in from? Yeah, absolutely. So I am in Singapore. That is way down in Asia. It's easily, I think, 13 hours ahead of people in the States. So so it's literally as we're recording, this is 9.15 p.m. my end of the world. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, it's 9 no, I'm, by the way. It's like first. I know. I mean, I'm all good. I'm really used to this. So I've been doing this for six years now. So yes, I'm in Singapore. And um, just like we were chatting a little bit before, I'm. this is really something that I got into by accident. I came, come from a background where entrepreneurship is not encouraged at all. So the type of family I'm from is, you know, we were always told you go get good grades 
and then go to university, get a degree, go get a job. So that was my plan. And, and starting my own business was never a part of the entire equation, any, nothing of that sort. So I fell into this pretty much by accident. Um, it was back in 2013. I had my daughter I'd just given birth. So I was taking a little bit of a break and um, I was all set to go back. So I was doing marketing and international relations back in corporate. Um, I took a one year break. I was going to go back, but um, I had a kind of a health scare. So I had like a checkup and then I realized I had to go get surgery. So I had to go get myself sorted out and that kept me at home. So I had to basically call them up and say, you know, hey, I, I, I can't do this right now. I can't come back. So they had to let go of that position to someone else, which they needed to fill urgently. So, you know, they couldn't really wait for me to have everything sorted out. So when I was at home and I was wondering, okay, how do I put into use my experience? And because this is an area that I was really passionate about, like branding and marketing and all of that. And that is how I kind of fell into the entire digital marketing space. So I was reading up a lot about the conversations that were going on in the space and trying to figure out, okay, where can I value add? Where can I add to the conversation? Because for me, that was really key. It's not just about saying the same things, but it's really about adding to the conversation and the literature that's already out there. Um, I started a blog talking about, obviously, marketing and um, stuff like that. And pretty much the community and the, my audience grew organically. And after that, the programs, digital programs, my courses and my books came about. So in a nutshell, <laughs> this is just like my background. It's how I got into this. Yeah. I love it. There's so much there um, that I can appreciate. And I'm sure the audience can appreciate that you're literally in Singapore, which is actually a really, from what I understand, still a very modern city in South Asia, right? So it's, it's super modern. It's a metropolitan. It's the hustle and bustle. It's like the big New York city is what I imagine like Singapore to be, uh, but still coming from that South Asian background. And you talk about that is the path, right? Like go get, get good grades. Like you have to get good grades you have to go to school and you go get a, a reputable, and I'm doing air quotes here, a reputable job of what our parents like had designed for our lives. And as a woman, our job was also to be a mom and to be a wife. Like that's not even a question. Like that's not even Absolutely. an option. There is, and it's very frowned upon if women choose not to have children, like that's not even a question for us to even talk about in our culture. And so I, what I'm, what I want to share with the audience is like, I can relate to that background, but you deciding to become an entrepreneur, it's not just, it is so difficult to be respected as a woman, as an entrepreneur, starting a business. And then to top it off, especially that you started your business post having your child, like post having becoming a mother and then choosing to become an entrepreneur. Um, for those that may not understand this, it is a very large feet. I just wanted to share, I can empathize in a very different way culturally with that. And I think it's so badass that you did that and that you call yourself an accidental entrepreneur, but I think it's incredible that you were able to pave your own path. And it was out of this unfortunate circumstance of a health issue and then you having to be home. But sometimes some of the greatest things that are so traumatic in our lives or that are so troublesome in our lives end up being the most eye-opening for us or end up being the most powerful experiences for us. I always like to say the universe is working for me. And I really feel that for you at that time, that although the world was crashing around you, your job that you loved and that you were doing amazing at couldn't have you back, even though it wasn't your fault. I'm sure that was really difficult. You just had a baby. You have all of this responsibility. 
And I felt, you know, I'm sure that the world was crashing, but that is where like also the universe is working for you, not against you. And sometimes we forget that. And I wanted to share this like little reminder to anybody out there today that feels like the world is crashing in front of them or things aren't going exactly as planned. There is a reason, there is a reason the work, the universe is working for you, not against you. So I love that you started your business. No, thank you for sharing that. And it, it, it's spot on because connecting the dots now, looking back, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm, and I'm so glad that things worked out the way they did. And um, the cultural background, that is, that was huge. And, yeah. and I'm so glad that you brought it up. For me, it was, you know, not really, I mean, more than, yeah, starting, starting the thing, but it was unlearning a lot of things that I was sort of conditioned to believe about what I was capable of because I was never told that this is something that you could even try or this is something that you might even be successful in because and entrepreneurship was always for others. So there were a lot of, a ton of things that I had to unlearn. I had to reframe about myself and I'm still doing that along the way. So it's, it's not something that you just turn on and off. You can't just start this and, you know, coming from the kind of traditional background and you, you can't just start and then say, okay, fine, I'm, I'm good now. I'm not an entrepreneur, but <laughs> there's a ton of conditioning over years and years and years that you kind of have to unlearn. Yeah. It's a journey, right? Entrepreneurship is a journey. This is something that I absolutely agree with is there isn't a course. There isn't a, this is literally one of the reasons why I started CEO school is there's no such thing. Like there literally is no such thing. I didn't go to CEO school. None of us go to CEO school. Um, it is a journey. It's a constant learning and you're absolutely right. You have to learn, unlearn and grow. You have to have that growth mindset. Um, and it is a lifelong journey. You can't just turn things on and off and say, okay, I'm, I'm healed now, or I'm good now. And my mindset is okay. Now, even at whatever level of success, I was actually this morning chatting with, um, Alison bird, who's a dear friend of mine. She is literally the most, one of the most powerful speakers that I've ever met. She's a multi-seven figure entrepreneur. She is a coach to some of the most highest and best Um, and I'm just lucky to be friends with her and she's literally heading up to go speak at some major conference in Atlanta. And I checked in with her this morning and she's so nervous and she's like, and so I'm like pumping her up and I'm like, I'm pumping her up. She's literally the greatest speaker. And what we were laughing about is the fact that no matter at whatever level it is, it doesn't, you can't just turn it. Like, it's not just a turn, like turn on or off. You have to work at it. It's a constant learning. Oh my God. We can deep dive into all of these really fun things. I feel so connected to you today. And I love that we're starting off our Monday morning with this level of energy. Mira, tell me about digital marketing and why you're the expert. What do you know about digital marketing? Oh my God. Is it I took marketing in college, by the way. So I was a marketing and finance major and the world has completely changed in the last 15 15 years, right? And you have to keep up with it. So we've got a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs in the room, a lot of working professionals in the room as well. What are the top trends that you're seeing in digital marketing? Tell us more what the landscape is like today in 2021 running a business. Wow. Uh, There's there's so much I could, I could say. I think the key thing is to not get too comfortable in an area because things shift, your audience or your customers, they shift as well. So things that were working back when I started in 2016, they they don't work as well now. So one area I would say that people are a little bit 
concerned with are running ads, Facebook ads. Because of the entire iOS privacy changes, there is a lot of um, discussion and a lot of angst about ad costs going up and the fact that they don't work anymore and the fact that they're not going to be able to track their, 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 their ad spend, track their conversions, um, the emails that they send, they're not going to get a return on, they're not going to get data on how well it's doing. So I think this is the thing that's on the minds of a lot of people. And the way I see it going is that, you know, eventually we will adapt to the changes. It's not that you are not going to be able to get leads or sales from ads anymore. It's just that you are not going to be, you're going to get better and smarter with learning how to track that spending. And the way I see it going forward is rather than send people outside to a different platform out of Facebook, which means to your site or some other, some other page to kind of convert and get your subscribers or you get, get your sales, I see a lot of conversion happening within the Facebook platform itself. So using within Facebook, trying to get lead ads or trying to get um, uh, sales and subscribers. So Facebook is trying to keep people on the platform and it rewards people for staying on the platform with cheaper ad costs. So this is something that's top of mind for people in my audience. I didn't know that. Um, okay, so Facebook... Yeah right now. And, and you're absolutely right. The landscape completely changed this year. We literally have four businesses in my household. One of them is Stacks, which is a major technology company, B2B SaaS. We run probably a million dollars worth of ads a quarter. So very heavy ad spent. iOS update completely messed up the system. And even at CEO school, we actually don't do a ton of ads, but during the last membership launch, we could not track our data. And that was a huge concern for me of like, I don't know if I actually want to invest to scale. But what you're telling me is that Facebook is incentivizing. So algorithms are always going to change. And we need to also just Correct. be okay with that. Like that's one thing as an entrepreneur, if you are not adapting to the change, somebody else is going to eat your lunch. Like that is the name of the game. So you have to be able to adapt. What you're giving us the insight on is that Facebook itself right now, even though there was all these changes, they're incentivizing. The algorithm is incentivizing for ads for the actual consumer to stay inside of the platform of Facebook. So what are some, can you give us an example of how that ad would work inside of Facebook so it doesn't leave to go to, because usually all of my conversion ads are taking you back to a landing page that's external, not exactly. Facebook. Yeah. So one thing that I'm testing out right now, um, and a couple of people in kind of like a mastermind group that I have are testing out as well is running lead ads. So lead ads is very similar to sending people to a landing page. It's just that the sign up process itself happens within Facebook. So rather than send people out, it's just going to kind of open up a pop-up within Facebook itself. So there seems to be, I mean, it's still early on in the process. It seems to be driving the costs below typically what you would see if you would send people to an external landing page. So that's, that's I think, the main thing that, that I'm trying to kind of test out right now because the, the huge concern and complaint everyone has is that their, their ad costs are ridiculous. Then the amount of money that they're spending and how they're seeing in terms of conversion is ridiculous. Now, but the thing is, that said, a lot of people are really, really concerned with, you know, I need my... my my cost per conversion is huge. My cost per click is huge. And um, it's, it's, I need to get it down. But just because you're going to get cheap clicks or cheap conversions doesn't necessarily mean that those people are going to end up doing business with you. 
So just because you're getting them in on the cheap does not mean that they're going to go on to buy from you. So this is one thing that we need to think about. Sometimes it's worth paying a little bit more for an audience if they're going to convert further down in your funnel. So there's no point in getting lots of people in at a very, very cheap cost and then down the road, they're not going to just going to stay on your list. Or they're just not going to do anything. So I think this is a mindset shift that people need to make. And I have this issue as well. I'm like, oh my God, it's so high. I'm spending what, $15 a person. But what is the return at the back end of it? If you are selling a program for maybe $1,000, if you're selling a program for maybe $500, then that's a huge return. Just because you get someone in for 15, 20, 25, you're still going to be selling so much more at the back end. So I think this is a shift that a lot of people need to make because they're so used to the numbers that they used to see a couple of years ago. Like a few years ago, you could get people in for like $3 or $5, you know, those kind of numbers, which you don't typically see these days. So, so yes, that's, that's one thing. Um, I, I think the next one is really to get smarter with the type of content that you're sharing because there's so, so much noise when it comes to content. Um, it's, it's not about putting more out there, which is what we all kind of lean to and we feel pressured to create so many different content pieces because everyone seems to be doing so. But it's to get smarter with the type of content that you're creating. And this is something that I've been saying for some time. You need to understand the journey that your audience is taking with, with you. So you need to get an understanding of what are their pain points at every step of the way. So are you dealing with an audience that's problem aware? or problem unaware? Are they aware of the pain points that you're helping them tackle? And then based on that, offer them different content pieces. So whatever platform you're on, whether that's TikTok or whether that's Instagram, make sure you're talking about these pain points for your audience so that they can be led along this journey. Because your content, the main idea of your content is to nudge them along this journey. And at the back, at the end of it, you want to empower them to make a decision to say yes to you and your business. So like, these are the two things that I would say, I think everyone needs to kind of look out for. I love that. And I couldn't agree with you more, right? So number one was let's focus on actually quality of leads versus quantity, right? And so yes, the cost is more. And you're right, you should be tracking your cost per click, your cost per lead. But something that I I do find even myself that people miss is what is your actual customer acquisition cost, right? What is the CAC? So at the end of the day, what are you spending overall aggregate and sales and marketing to then convert into an end customer. That baseline metric, whether you're it's taking you $2 a lead or $20 a lead, your CAC is the true indicator of how much, what your true value is of your lifetime value is of that customer. And so it's so important for you to track the conversions through, but seeing like at the end of the day, what is your actual customer acquisition cost? And there should be some benchmarks for, and your benchmarks and what's, oh my God, something I want to talk about is everyone else's benchmarks are not your business benchmarks. So for somebody else that 50, for your business, Mira, right? $15 a lead might be the right metric for your business based on your audience, your CAC, your customer acquisition. It's not the same for my business. It's never going to be the same. And it is good to have benchmark data from a from an industry level perspective to understand industry level, but everyone's business is not the same. And I see constant state of comparison um, in, in these metrics when it's actually not doing you any good. Zoom out of your own business, ladies. Like zoom out of your business. Take a look at your grass, not somebody else's. Let's water our own grasses because let's understand our customer better. And what you talked about, number two, is 
the right messaging, right? So you can have the lowest cost per lead and really cheap adding to your list and building your funnel. But if you don't have quality content that converts like people now, something that I was talking about in my last show was it takes 21 touches just to reach a customer now for them to even recognize your brand. And I talked about like I literally deep dove into um, like multi attribution. Like it's not just a single source that's going to take. It's not just going to be that Facebook ad. Your email list needs to convert. Your content needs to convert, and it takes all of it today. So I love that you talked about quality, not quantity. And then number two, which I want to deep dive now into, is even the content value add quality. So if you can kind of take me a little bit further into that, I know you have a system that you use. It's your profitable email system. I would love to learn about that because once you get them inside, you've got, you've got the lead. Conversion is the most important. And I think you have this really amazing system that I would love for you to share with our audience today. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I always go back to, um, I don't know how many people are aware of this, Eugene Squat's customer awareness spectrum. So this is, it, it pretty much plots out the different stages of awareness that your audience has. So it starts off with someone who is problem unaware, completely unaware of anything. Now, that is an absolute cold audience. So someone who doesn't know what you're talking about, who's not even in touch with the topic that you're talking about, or doesn't really know anything about your offer. So they're not shopping around for solutions as yet. They're they're far from that. So the second type of person is um, someone who is problem aware. They're aware of pain points, um, but um, they haven't really started looking for solutions. And then after that, you've got solution unaware, solution aware, and people who are most aware. So when you are in the middle, so people who are solution unaware and aware, these are the people who are shopping around. They are perhaps just starting to identify, okay, I've got pain points. I need to reach out and look out for solutions. So when you bring people onto your email list, you want to obviously send them through some kind of a nurture sequence. Okay, and some people call it the welcome email series or nurture sequence funnel pathway, whatever, whatever kind of you, you feel comfortable with. So within that sequence of emails, there is a specific way that you want to do it so that people at the end convert. So I always like to talk about false beliefs, myth or mistake, kind of uh, share these kind of content because you want to get attention um, and you want to get them interested first because there's no way if you're not going to get their interest if they're not you're not going to get their attention then they're not going to pay attention to anything else that you say after that they're not going to be uh, paying heed to your solution at all so the first thing to do is to talk about mistakes or myths that they might be making any type of false beliefs that you want to break because what I've seen is when you so-called provoke um, or you share an alternative point of view or when you challenge your audience, something that they've always believed and you challenge your community or your client or your customer in a certain way, that is when you're going to get their interest. That's when you're going to get their attention. Um, It can be a little bit polarizing when you do it in this way. So you can, you may end up repelling some people, but for me, I always believe that exactly. It's perfectly fine. You are, whatever you do, you're going to repel people either way. So I'd rather do it way up front rather than, spending all of this time and energy and money on that person. And then they kind of leave at the end of it. So I want to do it right up front. So after that, you take them through the entire journey where you talk about your process or your framework or your methodology 
And you could also share results. You could share transformation. If you've worked with a client before and it's worked very well for them, share those results within your content pieces. Um, any type of objections that they may have, you want to get rid of that. You want to eliminate all of those objections. So your content is there for a reason. It has to do all of these different things. And, you know, it doesn't work with one content piece. Like you said, it takes several touch points before uh, someone, you know, to kind of get their attention, to get them to look at your solution, to convert. So you do this via few different content pieces. And it doesn't just work in one medium because nowadays people follow you in lots of different places. So your brand ecosystem has to all gel with one another. So you might be on Instagram or you might be on email or you might be sharing, um, doing a training for your audience somewhere else, but your messaging has to connect on each of these different platforms so that your entire brand ecosystem drives. And when you do it in this way, it's easier to get someone right to the end to get them to become a customer and at the same time, get them coming back to you to buy your other products and services. Yeah, and, and I, I think this is the mistake that a lot of people have. They think that content is for nurturing. They don't think content can sell. But for me, I always ask the question, you know, okay, I, th these are my goals. How can content help me achieve these goals? People don't view this relationship between content and your business and marketing goals in this way. They always say, okay, I need to create content because people are telling me that it's good practice. I need to do it because everyone is doing it. But they don't see that when you do it in this way, your content can actually sell. Yeah. I am mind blown right now. And I, I agree with you 100%. And I don't think the last time we've looked at our content pillars, I mean, like there's, everybody has their like, here's your target. ICA here's, you know, I, I know we want to deep dive a little bit into brand voice, perhaps, um, you know, this is our brand, this is what it is, but that cohesiveness, you know, people do it during a time of ask, right? So maybe it's a launch or you're trying to push a product, everything seems cohesive then, but then afterwards we go back to the same rut of like, here's the content that I'm producing and there's no meaningful call to action anywhere, or even like what's in between. What are some tips for that on how to really tie your whole content pillars all together cohesively as a brand, even in and outside of launch periods or in and outside of when you're pushing a product or not, or even for sellers, perhaps that have an like are ongoing, like even for B2B companies, like you can sign up for stocks anytime. Like it's not a, we don't launch uh, our, our SaaS platform. Like it's always selling. Um, so what are some tips that you have for companies that need to cohesively have it? How can we do that? Um, yeah. when we're not in a launch plan or something like that. Yeah, I, I love that you asked that question. And, and the, the key thing to remember is at any point in time, only 10% of people are ready to do business with you. The other 90%, which we typically kind of neglect because they're not saying yes to you now, they are, it's, it's not that they, they are, they're going to say no forever. It's just that it's not a yes right now. And that is one thing that people forget. So one of the, the ways that you can include that 90% is, what you mentioned, try to build a cohesive content strategy, even when you're out of launches. So for me, I like to do it in a way, and this is what I always share with um, my clients and my community as well, is to build your year around teams or campaigns. So if you have launch campaigns, sometimes you have got launch, but when you're out of a launch, you still want to be building awareness. You still want to be educating your audience so that the next time round, when when they have their pain point or when they're ready to say yes to you, they think of you first. So you want to be top of mind. 
Um, and I like to cycle through a few different campaigns. So for typically for me in, in the type of audience I serve, many of them are coaches. They are digital product creators. So the way I explain it to them is, okay, fine. You've got your launch. You've got an offer that you're pushing out. But apart from that launch, could you do perhaps an awareness campaign um, tied around one offer or tied around one main message? Or could you do an authority building campaign? So if you are trying to be known for a particular area in a particular area, could you drive an authority building campaign? So what that means is that every single piece of content that you're creating within that time span, it could be a month, it could be two months, all ties back to that one main goal, which is perhaps to be known in this particular area or to build awareness for this offer. So it's a little bit more intangible compared to, okay, launch, I've got these numbers that I want to hit. But the same thing can also apply when you're doing this kind of an awareness building campaign or an authority building campaign. You obviously look at other types of metrics. You could look at engagements. You could look at perhaps how many requests for a callback that you have. You know, people who are just trying to find out, get more information because these metrics show that your content is working. So it's not hard and fast money, but these also will lead to getting clients or, or getting sales down the road. So rather than kind of, all right, I've got nothing to post. It's going to be September, October. You know, I've, I've, I, I don't really know what to go into my calendar because I'm not pushing any product out. I'm not pushing any service out. Think along, how can I structure in blocks? So awareness, authority, or, or a launch, or going back to, even if you're speaking about um, if you're sharing someone else's service or product where you've got some kind of a collab or anything that's going on, then you could also block that out and create content to support that person. So this is how typically you would want to structure your year so you don't fall into that rut of, okay, let me just put something out there for the sake of putting it out. Or let me share this because I've got nothing else to share. You want every single piece of content to be intentional and ties back to your message or to your goals. So this is how content can also support your marketing and business goals. Yeah. I love that. This is such gold right here. And I think that it, it really does for, for those that may not have a cohesive content strategy and it, it spans across the board, right? So it doesn't just have to be on social, but this is where I do believe that digital marketing is heading. Like everybody goes, no one's going to the website anymore. Everyone's going straight to the business, even the business Instagram page. Like that is, this is 2021. What do you have to say about the traditional uh, forms of marketing? Like, do you still, where would you say that businesses should be investing, whether they're digital entrepreneurs or not, right? So product-based entrepreneurs, other service-based entrepreneurs, B2B companies like mine, um, you know, we have a very heavy blog, um, and we drive a ton of like SEO traffic, like what are some traditional forms of advertisement that you are saying like double down on everyone's leaving it. You can double down here or like, this is not worth your time. Maybe can we talk about other forms of marketing that can add to the strategy? Honestly, the other forms of marketing, so-called traditional ones that I would say still do is networking, showing up to speak elsewhere, um, getting visible in front of people. I mean, obviously with the pandemic, we have had to scale back and all of that. But if there's one thing that I would say is still absolute goal when it comes to traditional marketing is all of this, because it serves to really build relationships and people want to do business with other people. 
So, and, and this is where you want to show up as the face of your brand. So if you've been doing networking or if you have a chance to perhaps present at your local business association or whatever that might be, any chance to speak, to show up live in front of an audience, I would say take it. And this is something that a lot of people are hesitant about because they feel like, you know, I still haven't figured out my voice or I don't think I'm there as yet. I don't know what message I'm putting out there. But rather than perfection, I think we need to focus on repetition, consistency, and kind of focus on evolution because I think all of us are kind of like a work in progress. So that's just the main thing I always say is just showing up. Any type of visibility, these are the ones that just hold on when it comes to traditional marketing. Don't lose out on that. I love that. I didn't even think about events and speaking and podcasts and media as part of like, I I mentioned it on the last like list of things, but it's almost an afterthought versus a forefront on traditional. Where do you secure? So if you have, you know, entrepreneurs that don't have a huge budget, what are some tips maybe that you have to go secure some speaking opportunities, podcasts, other areas? You know, what do you recommend to your students who might have a smaller budget? Where should they be spending their time? And money, right? Absolutely. So for me, when I started out, one, I was very thankful that this is one area that I focused on a lot um, was pitching myself on other blogs and other podcasts or summits or conferences. And I did it myself. So basically, I would go into any place that I wanted to get in on and I would kind of study their the, the shows that they had, the type of content that they had. And I would try to find a gap where I could value add. And I would basically just pitch. So I would set a goal that, okay, I was going to reach out to maybe five people, five different influences or five different sites of businesses in one week. So, well, the only kind of money or currency you're spending is your own time. Um, And so it's absolutely doable, even if you don't have a team, or even if you have a small budget, you could absolutely do it yourself. But it it is very time intensive, especially if you do want to get booked, especially if you do want to secure that interview or, or you do want to secure a slot to kind of showcase your guest post. You have to do the work. You have to go in and look at what they're talking about and what type of conversations are they having and think about, okay, this is a conversation, but I think I have a different perspective or I think I have an opposing point of view. This is what people are looking for. So if you're going to say the same thing and you're just going to say, okay, this is my bio, this is what I do, then you're not going to get a lot of interest. But if you take the time to actually go back in and look at what they're saying and then contribute and say that, I think this is going to help your audience because I have a different perspective, then this is where you get their attention. So for anyone who says they don't have a budget, I would say this, you just need to spend a little bit of your time and you can absolutely do that. I love that. And I think that especially in this area, you can hire teams, but I think when it comes directly from the voice like of you, and even if you send it off like, as a team member of like what you said as being, you know, we get, I don't know, hundreds of applications every quarter to be on the show. And most of the guests that I bring on, I have like a, you know, I have a, I'm very blessed to have a very strong network. And I'm still running through my network, but you know, we always want to be securing guests that are also applying. So we'll take a look. My team will take a look and it's hard sometimes to stand out. And you're literally on this show. Uh, We don't know each other. And because you and your team applied and obviously did an incredible job of sharing your story and why this is going to be. And it was, this was such an incredible value add 
for our guests. And I just, I just love that you're walking the walk. Like you're actually talking the talk or talking the talk and walking the walk here, because this is exactly how we got you here at CEO school. This is so awesome, Mira. This has been such a pleasure getting to know you today on the show. How can we learn more from you? I've got so many more questions that I know that I'm excited to continue to pick your brain on. I know the audience is excited to pick your brain on. Where can we find you? Tell us about your programs. We want to learn everything digital marketing from you. Yeah, absolutely. So for people who have email marketing on their radar, I do have an absolutely free email course. It's mira.email slash course. That's a short link. You can go there. Or alternatively, I'm at miracoten.com. You can go there and you can find all my books or you can stop me on Amazon as well. <laughs> you just need to type in my name and you're going to see my books over there. So yeah, a few different places, but the best would be Amazon or my site. I love it. We will definitely be checking that out and linking it all in our show notes. Thank you so much for spending this morning with us and this evening out of Singapore with us. <laughs> uh, for those listening, thanks for being here today, listening to the show. If you love this episode, we grow by you sharing the show and we grow by your reviews. So if you can screenshot this episode, share it on social tag us and tell your friends to come listen to CEO school. We would so appreciate it. And if you have just two minutes to leave us a five-star review on the show, what you love about it, you can screenshot that and submit it for, we're running this incredible contest right now to win swag, as well as a one-on-one coaching session with me personally. So I'd love to have you in that. So I appreciate you guys so much for tuning in this morning and we'll see you next week at CEO school. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast and show. Our team at CEO School works extremely hard to bring you the best content, authentic conversations, and expert guests curated every single week to keep you leveling up in leadership, business, and in life. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating telling us what you enjoy the most. We will be sending CEO School swag for the next 100 reviews, so don't miss out. Write a review and send us a screenshot at podcast at theceoschool.co to claim your swag. Again, it's podcast at theceoschool.co to claim your swag. Thanks so much. We love having you here.